millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Dominic Fifield of The Athletic, and his colleague, Richard Amofa. Imagine not liking football. The final day of the Premier League season was an emotional tornado. It ended in Manchester City's fourth title in five years, and with Pep Guardiola in tears. Billions might have been invested in the City project, but the character to come back to win from two goals down with 15 minutes remaining and fate apparently favouring Liverpool. Well, Dom, that's priceless, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. I mean, the, the drama of those those five minutes, a little over five minutes. Five minutes, 36 seconds, I'm told. Is that right? Well, there you go. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was staggering. I mean, it's... It, I don't know. I don't want to sort of say with the benefit of hindsight, but but you just felt that if, if City scored one, then the momentum would switch again and that maybe something remarkable might happen. You know, five minutes, 36 seconds is 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 freakishly quick for a team to rally and, and overturn a two-goal deficit. But in a strange way, Liverpool will never top yesterday, despite it all, but, but there was, they had the momentum at some point. There was an inevitability about them going ahead against Wolves and and the, the pressure at the Etihad, at City, everybody was aware of it. You could you could see that Pep Guardiola was wearing it on his on his on his brow. I mean, it's it was it was getting to everybody for them to to pluck a revival like they did out of that pressure was was quite something. And yeah, and it does say everything about character. It says everything about quality as well, though. I mean, you can just put players of, of that calibre onto the pitch and, and they can make that difference because everybody talks about Gundogan's impact but I mean Sterling for the first goal was magnificent as well leaking that space out and putting the perfect crossover and Zinchenko was was instrumental as well after his half-time introduction they have that depth of quality but I mean the, the, to, to whip up that that amount of drama was was just unbelievable and, and yeah and testament to the, to the quality pedigree and, and, and class that they have yeah, 93 points, 99 goals. So, Rich, are they the sort of standards that you need to reach these days to actually win a title? I think it is, yeah. Because, I mean, if you're looking at actually their closest competitors, you know, right behind them all the way and being pushed all the way, 
and having that level of consistency, it's only going to push you to, to higher, higher grades and, and, and higher levels. But um, another figure I'd like to point out, or two if I may, you know, 26 goals conceded. So if you look at a goal difference of, of 73, you know, that, that just gives you that extra leverage. You know, where, where the margins are, are so fine and, 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 so, and so tight, their defence this season has, has been fantastic. And, you know, just looking at, obviously, you know, the way they play, the, the way they keep the ball, you know, they have the ball, the opposition can't score. And as you say, 26 goals conceded, building up that goal difference did give them that extra that extra leverage. But I think a word um, Dom used at the top was inevitability. And you say it was inevitable that, that Liverpool would come back. And I, I think a lot of people watching, although we, you know, the, the drama was, was fantastic, I think there was a sense of when City did get one, you probably were expecting them to get two, to get three and, and go on and, and win the game and, and ultimately the, the the title. So, I mean, it's fantastic to watch, you know, the, the level of consistency and the quality all, all the way right into the end. So they, both sides have been fantastic this season and, um, you know, City have just been, uh, been able to edge it. Yeah, I, it's, it's probably a bit too too soon to actually look at this in, in its full fullest perspective, Don. But, you know, we're talking about, six city title wins in 10 years we all remember the you know the psychodrama of 2012 where does this season rate in that sort of pantheon of achievement well that, that i mean 2012 was was the first and and that was sort of breaking the seal almost and, and allowing city to to believe that they were a, a club capable of competing for premier league titles um slightly different now four and five years yes Dramatic. I mean, it was it was very similar to 2018-19, wasn't it? I mean, it's we're talking that that finer margin again between the top two. I, I, part of me wonders. I mean, it's clearly taken its toll on Pep Guardiola, and and the emotion that he showed at the final whistle was somebody that had been properly stressed by by the pressure that Liverpool were putting on his team. And he's sort of created this siege mentality over recent weeks as well. Sort of, you know, the world's out to get us. Everybody's against us. Everybody wants Liverpool to win the title, which it just is patently untrue. But it, it sort of suggests to me that that maybe that maybe that's what that's maybe that's what the, the most successful clubs need. Maybe that's what Manchester United had under Sir Alex Ferguson. This sort of acceptance that the majority out there. Basically, everybody out there isn't a fan of their club is going to want them to to slip up, because that, that sort of regularity of success and and when you're winning every every year, pretty much, yeah, it builds up an animosity amongst amongst rival supporters that that, that maybe wasn't there before. There used to be a certain amount of sympathy for City fans, not not so much now, but maybe that's taken its toll, and 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 that seemed to make this achievement even better in Pep Guardiola's eyes. That coupled with the the sheer caliber and quality of the opponent they're up against, I mean Liverpool just get better and better as each year as well. But well, this year, last year, obviously a bit of a a blip. But I think there was so many freakish nature, so much freakish about last year behind, behind closed doors, etc. This was more the Liverpool that we we'd expected from the years before, and and Klopp has has built up to this, and they are challenging City, and that's no mean feat. And it's clearly it's clearly putting pressure on Pep Guardiola, hence hence his breakdown at the final whistle. 
Mm. You know, it certainly comes to something when you've got Manchester United fans <laughs> desperate for Manchester City to win the title. You know, given all that and that parallel that actually was drawn by Guardiola himself between his City and Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United, do you see any similarities there, Rich? I think I think drawing on that um, that siege mentality, I, I think, is a really important point because you know, as, if, if you are so consistent and you are, you know, you are winning games and you are blowing sides away. Sometimes, I mean, we know Pep Guardiola sets really high standards, and I'm not saying that complacency we would ever set in because it, it, it wouldn't and, and, it, and it hadn't. But just having that extra edge, I think it just helped to push over the line because it's not something that we've really heard Pep Guardiola speak about in the past and talk about being outsiders and everybody supports Liverpool. So the, the way he kind of dropped that in at the point he dropped it in in, in, in the season... It just added that extra impetus, didn't it? Well, I feel anyway, just, just to give them that extra drive, that extra edge to progress. And I guess the other similarities, I guess, would be the, you say, that inevitability. You just know that they're just going to score. <laughs> you know, West Ham, when they went 2-0 down, the fact, you know, they were able to come back. I mean, I guess we all expect them to go and win the game when Mahrez had, had that penalty. But I think in the back of our minds, I think we all expected City to, to come back. There's an there's a inevitability there. And now, I guess, as you say, with four leagues in five seasons, you have that chokehold over the Premier League. I mean, of course, Liverpool are winning competitors and have driven them very close over the past couple of years. But now, as you say, six in ten years, four in five years, I mean, it is Manchester City's Premier League. And um, I don't think that, that can be argued with. So but I think that those three points really do kind of shed a light on that kind of similarity, for sure. Mm, yeah, unless we forget, and I'm sure people in Liverpool won't, let us forget, City will be watching Liverpool in the Champions League final in Paris on Saturday. Guardiola made the point that the Premier League title is the most satisfying to win simply because it's the most difficult. Do you agree with that, Dom? (laughs) I'm happy Dom's had that question. (laughs) I mean, I want to say he would say that, but but, Mm. I mean, look, it's, it's... I think when you're playing 38 games across a season and you're up against an opponent like Liverpool who are as relentless as you are and who don't lose games, disaster at Liverpool is a draw. And 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 City are along the same mentality. Don't get me wrong. That they they I think they won more games in the end, didn't they? But it's it's it's. I think when you when you're being pushed every every week and you the level of pressure involved in that maybe that does make it tougher to win you can get freak results i mean we don't i don't think many people think that real madrid for example are, are necessarily one of the top two teams in in europe but they're in the champions league final chelsea probably weren't the top team in europe last season but they won the champions league and they ended up actually winning the club world cup as well so they're world champions now it's 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 that sort of well, it's a cup competition. It's the jeopardy that comes with a cup and with a draw and, and in who you get and the drama of an individual match that, that might be swayed by sending off by, by an uncharacteristic error. And I suppose that there will always be that and in terms of the Champions League and, and even perhaps perhaps that will that will become less of an issue as UEFA turn it inevitably into a league competition, you know, with each each revamp of their of their of their competition. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's a difficult one to say. I mean, 
Pep would say that because it's he's he's held off the challenge that mounted by Liverpool this season and uh, to win the Premier League and it is satisfying for him. But I, th- I think underneath it all, he would be desperate to win a Champions League with Manchester City. I mean that. That in many ways, actually, what happened at the Bernabeu scarred City, and and it's it's no surprise that all that siege mentality stuff came out of that event. You know that that's when they suddenly realised they had to rally round somewhere because that that was a, an uncharacteristic failure. Mm, and you know, lest we forget again, they're going to be stronger next season, aren't they, <laughs> uh, Rich? Yeah, it's just, it's frightening, isn't it? Because I mean, all the talk is about. You know, City don't play with a recognised striker and and this and that. Yet, as you say, they still scored 90, 99 goals this this season. And you know, Harlem's only going to, as you say, make them stronger. Especially, you know, the you know the the, the final ball and the quality of the final ball. You know, he, he's going to be on hand to to put those chances away. So, with his addition there, yes, you would expect them to to be stronger. And in those in those games, as they say, you talk about the Champions League and. Those you know those fine margins you know talk about Real Madrid and when City had the, the two chances right at the end I think Mahrez went close as well you're thinking okay maybe maybe Haaland is there to, to put those chances away and be the difference in those games so I think you'd have to look at City as potential favourites next season with, with Haaland up up top and it's so it'd be interesting to see where, where they go because of course Fernandinho is obviously heading heading off likely that Milka um, Gundogan will be heading away too. So they probably would need some reinforcements there. I mean, they've been they've been quite unfortunate with injuries also, especially at the back. So maybe another reinforcement there too. So it would be interesting to see how they act and how they play this summer. But you can't deny they're going to be so much stronger with Harland up front next year. Yeah, I found it quite amusing that over the last couple of weeks, people have been talking about you know the relative thinness of, of City's squad. I'm not sure what planet those people were on, but there we are. <laughs> I suppose also you, know, you mentioned the Champions League changes, Dom. We're in now an accelerated evolution of the game, aren't we? State-run clubs or state-funded clubs, sovereign wealth-funded fund, clubs, have an inherent advantage. Now, you've only got to look at PSG and, and that obscene Mbappe deal to see that the game is changing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It has been for a while, and we get little reminders like the Mbappe situation, and the the old the old guard are sort of fighting desperately to retain their power in in this in this new environment, this new landscape. Hence, the sense of outrage I suspect at Real Madrid over over the Mbappe snub. Um, but you know. This weekend, Real Madrid can can go out there and, and remind the world how how they are the establishment, how they are the, the the team that wins the Champions League more more years than not. Almost, I mean, it's that it has that sense about it, doesn't it? Real Madrid in Champions League finals, and actually, it's it's nice in some ways that you've got Liverpool versus Real Madrid in that game because they've got two of the most decorated European Cup teams out there competing in that, and and. You know they they will remain they will remain significant and powerful, but they've got challenges now. They've got small states challenging them and and uh, throwing money at things, and that that will make that will make life interesting at that level. Yeah, certainly. Well, what do you think? You know, the rest, and even when I'm saying the rest, I'm probably talking about say another four or five clubs in England. What do you think they can learn from Liverpool's approach, Rich? I think when you're looking at you know, as you say, there, there's so much at stake, isn't there? So it's, it, you know, it's apparent. We've seen clubs try and go for the for the quick fix, 
for the you know win at all costs mentality, especially at the start, and we've seen it implode. But as you've seen in Liverpool, you know they they've built slowly. You know, as well documented the the slow start that that Jurgen Klopp had at, at Liverpool, um, and he's he's ultimately built that squad with the support of you know a very talented board and very talented people behind the scenes, so like Michael Edwards, etc. As you say, they, they've they've built this powerhouse over a number of years. And now what we're seeing now is just, is just little tweaks to that armory. So, you know, as you say, they big powerhouse and they went and, you know, bought Thiago. And just, you know, to almost kind of, you know, tweak the way they play and try and control games and then keep the ball better, bringing in the likes of Luis Diaz in January, who's had a transformative effect. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a player join the league in January and have that much of an impact. So... I think clubs can definitely take a leaf out of their book in terms of that. But the issue is, with so much at stake, as I say, will they be afforded time to, you know, implement that style, implement, you know, the the, the way of football, their ethos, and, and take things forward? It's, it's unlikely. And we've seen clubs try to do it. And as we know, the owners and, and boards, you know, they lose patience very, very, very quickly. So... Say obviously I'm living in a utopian world where we say managers should be given time, etc. But um, I think that's just the way forward if they want to try and build something. Yeah, well, patience and perspective, you know, two pretty valuable um, attributes, aren't they? Really, when you're looking at the development of a of a club or an institution. Now, it seems to me, Dom, and I don't know if you agree, that if you look at their, you drill right down into it. You're talking about you know, an inspirational manager intelligent, sensitive, you know, emotionally driven, like probably like the football club he has taken over. You've got time given to players to bet in. You know, you, if you look at Cater as a good example, even Minamino who's had a, you know, a bit part role, but he's, he's scored important goals. You've also had, as Rich said there, that successful decisiveness in the, in the market with, with Luis Diaz. You know, as a whole... They've got so much going for them, but there is one central weakness, and that's probably going to be exposed in the next couple of weeks when Real Madrid are inevitably going to come in and try and get Mo Salah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose now that Mbappe's not going there, then that would be <laughs> something that... Because they, they've, that... they've got to save face, haven't they, Don? Well, yeah, and, and they, so they need a coup. And obviously Mo Salah's always wanted to play with Tony Rudiger. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's yeah, you're right. They, they they that's what Real Madrid do. They will they won't take that snub from Mbappe. Well, they'll want to go out there, save face. They'll want to go out and make a splash in the market and show that they are still right up there at the pinnacle, competing with the small, oil-rich, state-funded clubs. So yeah, that that is a struggle. But then. Liverpool knew this situation was coming, and they, 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 Mo Salah's contract situation has rumbled on for ages. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily inevitable that he goes. I mean, he, of all clubs as well, Real Madrid, it's, it's, it, there's a history there, and you know all the stuff that he's come out with since the the, the final was was lined up, talking of revenge, etc., for for what happened with the the shoulder injury back in the back in the final i mean in in 20 was it 2019 2018 2018, 2018 yeah. that was it i mean it, it's not necessarily a, a natural marriage that so but but liverpool will have to go out and show the, the commitment to him and 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 convince him to to sign a new contract with them really i mean that's that's the bottom line i i the other thing about that that is 
okay, we we will probably paint Real Madrid taking Mo Salah, if indeed that's what happens, as a massive blow for Liverpool and a huge coup for Real Madrid. But of all the clubs out there, I suspect that Liverpool already have a plan in place for what they would do if that happens. I mean, they they are that well organised. They they have a, a, a strength in depth already up there. I know they're losing Divock Origi, who's been a fringe player, and in you know, a Salah going would be a mass would would take a lot of goals out of that team. He's been a regular starter, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had people lined up to say, in this situation, if this scenario comes to pass, we're just going to go out and do that and make sure that happens, and then we've got our, our replacements all lined up. That they're that organised, and that's that's really part of their their strategy over the last few years. That that. that recruitment has set them apart they i mean the contrast is maybe not with manchester city but but do the contrast with manchester united similar amounts of money spent probably united probably spent more actually and it's just been chalk and cheese in terms of what they've delivered mm, well talking of manchester united and i suppose we must yeah an absolutely dismal season came to an appropriately dismal end at crystal palace yesterday and I'm not dissing uh, Palace there, Dom, I promise. When you think of it, Eric Ten Hag was there at Selhurst Park. I'm sure he wasn't surprised, but he must have been horrified by what he saw. Yeah, I think, as you say, the problems have been well documented, but um, to see it in the flesh and just, you know, how flat and the lack of unity and organisation and just everything that's just been wrong with Manchester United season was just laid bare. Uh, Selhurst Park and yeah he, he I think that's why he's wanted to start early because he knows he's got a he's got a huge job in his hands they're just a myriad of, of issues which we say we've all spoken about on, on a number of, of, uh, of occasions but um we talk about making an impact you know of course you know not to contradict myself to say that we shouldn't be given time but he would also be expected to, to start fast and, and and hit the ground running he's got a pre-season now to uh to really try and bed in his ideas, you know, as you say, squad clearly needs reinforcements. So, you know, you need to work hard at that. So, I mean, you know, he's got his backroom staff agreed this morning with Steve McLaren and uh, Mitchell van der Gaag there too. So, the things are in place now. The ball's rolling. So, now he just needs to get his ideas in, in, you know, in place. The players he doesn't want, try and clear them out quickly. So, by the time pre-season starts, you've got, you know, your your... your I guess your core nucleus, and then if you need to add to it, you try and get your signings done quickly. You don't want any ongoing sagas, long extended sagas over certain players. You know, you you want to get your squad there. You want to get your team setting up and running for for the next campaign because all eyes will be on Manchester United once again. You know how how you know considering how far they've fallen this season, the stage is there to, for them to to crawl back. And I'm not saying they haven't got the potential to do that, but they need to hit the ground running. Yeah, I suppose you know, Ralph Rangnick talked about maybe needing up to 10 players. Well, that's unrealistic to do that all in one hit, isn't it, Don? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a two or three window job and an evolution, really. Not not so much. I mean, you can go out and buy 10 players and Manchester United could go out and buy 10 players because they probably got the finances to do it. However, clearing the books will be tricky. I don't think that's necessarily going to be an easy situation to to get rid of people who, let's face it, their reputations have taken a battering over the last 18 months. They've been so so flat, as Rich says, and, and it's just been such a miserable season that 
you know, convincing other clubs to take these some of these guys, these damaged goods, it's going to be it's going to be tricky, and they're on massive money as well, a lot of them. So, you know, maybe maybe they're going to have to be clever with some of their sales in terms of the deals that they strike to get people off the books. And I mean, it may well be there's, there's as, as it needs a bit of a a rush of of outs and a few ins coming out in this summer and then looking to to midwinter when it's never easy but you, you might be able to get someone midwinter and then next summer again we he has to have time here actually to to reshape this squad because because we've just they just had a, a pretty much a almost a decade of of constant failure by their standards yeah sure and i suppose yeah, we need to speak of the type of player. You know, right at the start of the show, I talked about City's character. They need players, don't they, Rich, of the appropriate hunger and potential. You know, I'm thinking, you know, building around someone of the character and the quality of, of Declan Rice, for instance. There's the, that's the sort of people that they need to get rather than the big stellar talent, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair point. I think, as you say, you, you need characters, don't you? You need people who who can help drive the team on. And obviously, you know, Rice has done that at, at West Ham. Of course, let's say West Ham aren't a big club. They are a big club, but you know, we know Manchester United is a, is a different beast altogether. The scrutiny, the, the pressure that comes with it. But someone to have that personality to galvanise a squad. And you know, as you say, that when they do their recruitment this summer, Manchester United, it'll be really important and interesting to see how they go about it in terms of maybe, you know, the background checks they do and the character references that they that they get in because it's having, you know, it's been well documented this season, the, the dressing room issues and the, the leaks and the squabbles and, and, and the infighting and things like that. So the characters that they bring in is going to be really important. And I also feel as well, you know, bringing through some of the youngsters. I mean, a lot's been spoken about, you know, Hannibal Medbury, um, Medbury for example, and, and, and Garnacho and, and players like that. It'll be great to see them given more opportunities next season. I guess we'll see them more in the Europa League. But as we all know, you know, young players coming through does really help to build that affinity between the club and the players and the fans. So I think the combination of the two would be really good to see. But you all, I know it's cliche to say, but you, you know, as fans, all they want to see is players just competing and fighting for the shirts and just not seeing enough of that this season. Mm. What about Chelsea, Dom? It's a club you know obviously very well. Do you sense there's a bit of a rebuild coming there? Yeah, there has to be. To lose definitely two key defenders in Rudiger and Christensen and potentially, says Azpilicueta as well, that they, they have to to rebuild in that, in that respect. But I think there's also a, a sense that if you look back at the the great Chelsea team, it was a great Chelsea team that was sort of built on, largely under Mourinho and really up to the moment they won the European Cup in in 2012. Uh, that was a team of winners. That was a team of, of, of big personalities, guys who, who didn't accept finishing second. A lot of this Chelsea squad are nearly men. I mean, they're very, very good players. Don't get me wrong, they're excellent. But I think... This season has sort of summed it up. Okay, okay, they won the Champions League last year, uh, which was a, an outstanding achievement, absolutely outstanding achievement. Maybe that contradicts everything I'm saying, but but the reality is, domestically, they've not really been been in contention for a Premier League title since 2017. They've 
they're constantly runners up in major cup competitions. I mean, twice this season, it's fine margins. I could have been saying something completely different if they if the penalties had gone slightly differently, but but they didn't. And you know, three successive FA Cup final defeats. Now the first club ever to to endure that. I think there's just a sense that they need an injection of of of. Yeah, personality again. We're going back to that word again. Personality, charisma. Someone who's they're just not going to put up with that. Thomas Tuchel is probably of that ilk, and he he won't put up with being second best all the time. He 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 will he will push and push. But at the moment, he's still got his hands tied. I mean, the whole club has got have got their hands tied. They're in the process of of the takeover going through. They're not able to to make signings or sanction sales, so they will come at this very very late actually they'll come at it behind 19 other Premier League clubs in terms of when they get their business done and that will make life difficult for them so again maybe it's going to have to be a slow burner maybe it's going to have to be we're going to have to have a bit of patience of the new owners see how they want to run the club Tuchel's going to have to have a bit of patience in terms of the the signings that come in and, and and how they bed in and it may just be a process that we don't see the best of for a while. I found it really interesting you know, looking at Thomas Tuchel's comments about Angolo Kante. You know, he basically painted him as, as as Superman. He might as well put an S on his chest. You know, that plays into contract negotiations. With recruitment, Chelsea has always been a bit of a distinctive model, hasn't it, Rich, with, um, you know, Marina Granovskaya playing a, a, a big role in it. Does that need to evolve as well, do you think? I think so. I think as, as as we've seen, I think you know in, in football things need to you always need to evolve, you know, in order to to kind of stay at the top, isn't it? Because if, if things run run stale, you know, you see you see stagnation. I think kind of Sky's done, done a decent job in terms of the recruitment of, of certain players and, and 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 things like that. But um, as as Dom said though, you know, I guess their hands are tied by by the situation that that they are in. I mean, it's great that we're seeing, you know, I guess you know, young players progressing over the last couple of years, and you know, the likes of Reece James now is you know, a phenomenal right back, you know, Mason Mount, cornerstone of the side. But um, as you say, it's, it's intriguing to see how they do act this summer. As you say, with all the restrictions on them, it's really difficult to tell in which direction that they're going to go in. So, but as I said, as I said at the top, though, the evolution is key, and you you have to keep evolving, you have to keep developing and that's why I thought that the sign of Lukaku last summer was really interesting because I think getting that that ready made forward everyone thought you know he's going to be the one to take them to that next level and for some one reason or not is it's not it's not succeed as, as 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 much as what they thought I mean of course you know still top scorer this season and and and, and you know you can point to that but certainly you know it hasn't been a full success yet but as we say another summer you know he can get himself fitter get himself stronger He's had a few injury issues this season and, and really kind of embed himself within the squad. And we might see a different beast next season. So we say it's really interesting to see because they are on a bit of a cliff edge, really. And when the restrictions are lifted and they can make sign-ins, it'll be interesting to see the direction that they, t- uh, that they take. They are, they are the great unknowns in the Premier League at the moment in terms of the, the contenders because we just don't know what the, the Bowley Clear Lake group are going to do in, in, in their ownership. What type of model are they going to pursue? Is it going to be FSG? Is it, is it going to be Abramovich similar? You know, I mean, We just don't know. It's... it's, it's we, we wait to see what, what goes on there. And just in, in, and in Granovskaya... And I know that the noises are that she'll be around in some capacity, and and maybe there is a an argument that to, to sort of 
to have a transitional period where she knows the business and she can help the new owners. But long term, if you've sanctioned Roman Abramovich and, and she is effectively, she's so closely associated with him, I'm not sure that sends out the right messages as a as a club if you if you're moving forward with with that. Same with Bruce Buck, to be honest. I think I think there may be a point in the in the near future where the Chelsea just need to to cut their losses on that front and 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 make a proper break and then go with with the Bowley Clear Lake and and see where the club goes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the sort of ceiling for a differently run club would be because Chelsea fans are you know over the last two decades almost they're used to being contenders aren't they and it might be that they might have to take you know one step back to get two steps forward in in that sense you know there's the same dilemma almost facing spurs isn't there rich because you know here's a club for better or ill that is run on very very firm financial principles yeah 100 percent. i mean you can see Spurs as a club who are. You can see the progression is is there in some sense. You know, got the new stadium. You know, off the pitch things seem to be going okay. But as you say, there is that glass ceiling there. And don't get me wrong, Conte has come in and, and done a. He's done a great job. You know, and since he's since he took over in November, only Liverpool, Manchester City have accumulated more points than them. So we're looking at it on face value. You can say that's fantastic. But then you look at the gap between the two. In that period, there's I think still a 14 point gap there, so it's, it's, there's still a lot of work to be done. I think we did see the, some shades of that in January, and you know, giving Conte a, a decent window to work at, you know, bringing in Benton Kerr, bringing in Kulisevsky, you know, both have had you know a great impact. You know, we've seen the improvement of, of the fullbacks, you know, the likes of Matt Doherty seem to be a uh, dead in the water, and that his resurgence before he got injured was, was great, same as Sessignon. So we've seen we've seen him improve players. You know they're they're, they're running more, running with more intensity. Obviously, Kane and Son up front are just phenomenal as as a pair. But as there is that glass scene though, and it's about how they crack. The, you know the the top two. Of course, you know we've seen they t- they took points of them both this season and made things very difficult for them. But their issue will be consistency. You know how will they turn themselves from being okay? We've reached the Champions League now. How do they go from being just a good side who can give teams trouble and problems to really forming that consistent challenge? Because I think you know, it's like with Conte at the helm and the, the players that they've got, there's no reason why they can't at least challenge, you know, challenge Chelsea for third or or, or, or even push more. But it's getting that consistency, and I think that will be an issue. Mm. This qualification for the Champions League, Dom, it is you know the final confirmation, if it were needed, of the quality of Antonio Conte you know you've been around him quite a bit in his Chelsea days is the true measure of him as a coach just the way he improves players on the training ground I'm thinking of their defense the Tottenham defense but also the flip side of that is that you've got to put up with a bit of sort of you know dilettante behavior haven't you you know (laughs) this whole idea of oh yeah I'll go back to the club in four or five days and tell them what I want to do yeah Yeah, look that that comes with the territory yeah that, that that's you know what you're recruiting when you when you bring in Antonio Conte, he's the man that can transform Victor Moses into a title-winning right wing back, <laughs> but he's also the bloke who's going to pick a fight with your board and and demand signings, some of which will be completely unrealistic. And you know it, we know what's going to happen this summer as well. There will be a meeting with Daniel Levy 
I'd be amazed if that meeting goes well. It just won't because the signings that Antonio Conte will want won't be the ones that Daniel Levy can provide. However, you'd like to think that with time that Antonio Conte has learnt that a measure of compromise is needed when you're managing up at a football club. I and mean, that's that's got to be the big hope. That's got to be what uh, Spurs fans cling to because he's done a fantastic, fantastic job and, and yeah, reinvigorated a squad that was meandering. So they need him there. They need him bringing the best out of this group and what signings they can make this summer to to challenge next year in a in a far tougher environment in the Champions League. Mm. Where does all this leave Arsenal, Rich, do you think? Okay, f- fifth place. How difficult will it be for them to reach that next level? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be really frustrated, I think, Arsenal. Having having been so close and, and been in those positions right right until the end, I think it'll be it'll be quite frustrating, you know, when, when they look back in the season. But I mean look, credit to them, you know, they, they did start quite poorly, didn't they? And, you know, the young players have really galvanized galvanized the squad. And it's it's, it's been great to see. And you know, when I talk about United trying to maybe have you know build young players and get young players through and have the affinity between uh, you know the club and and, and uh, the fans and the players. You know, I think we do see that at last Although there was a disappointment there that they didn't make the Champions League. You know, the, the scenes at the end of at the end of the game against Everton, where you know there was huge applause, rapturous applause for for what they've done this season. I think you know something that that should be commended. But there there are, there are improvements needed. I think you know they need they need a striker. You know, a, a proper number nine who's who's going to put the ball away and hold the ball up. And they'll need another central midfielder. Just as backup, you know, Partey's been quite uh, injury prone. Although Saka's impressed this season, I think Alneni's on the verge of signing the new deal, which is good to see. Um, and if they can keep their key players fit, I think that would be important. Because if you look at fullback, for example, you know, the likes of Tierney, the likes of Tommy Asu, you know, done well, but they just you can't, can't keep them fit, especially Tierney. And I think if they want to progress that to that next level, I think they do need to look at a way of. Of trying to keep their, their their top players fit because you know that kind of key triangle in terms of um, Ramsdale and the two centre backs, White and, and and Gabriel, have been fantastic. And I think most successes are built on having a consistency, especially in the starting eleven. But as you say, they've really struggled to keep their key players fit. And I think if they are going to go to that next level, that's something that they're going to need to do. Whether they whether they get a new left back and, and right back altogether, or they're able to to work on on their fitness and then keep them fit. You mentioned, um, you know, Bakaya Saka there. Dom, you know, that's, he's, he's 20, he's not even 21 yet. Yeah, he's played in every Premier League game for Arsenal this season. Was he a bit unfortunate to lose out to Phil Foden in the Premier League Young Player of the Year award? Yeah, possibly, possibly. I, those, yeah, the Young Player of the Year award is, is a slight anomaly, really. You can play two or three even more years four years at the in a premier league team regularly and chalk up over 150 appearances in the top flight and still get nominated for it which seems a bit strange okay you're young fine but it should be sort of the the, the breakthrough youngster really you know bursting onto the scene and i think saka particularly given what happened to him last summer and and the recovery from that probably does 
does warrant a mention. I mean, look, Phil Foden is outstanding. He's an outstanding footballer. He's a, he's a candidate for the for the senior award. That's how good he is. And the, the drive and and invention that he provided to Manchester City's Premier League success is is undeniable. I mean, we we it's it's there for all to see. Saka Saka has in in a in a lesser team, a team that is developing, has been an outstanding performer. And talent, Odegaard as well. I should mention as well. I mean, he's been fantastic for them, and has added to added to to what Arsenal have got. Added to their armory, and he'll go from strength to strength. He's a he's a regular with England. He's a he'll be a, a, a mainstay of that Arsenal team for a long time to come. And the type of player that Mikel Arteta will want to build the the constant evolution of that team around. I'd love to see um, Saka get an extended rest this summer because I think you meant, as you say, you know, as Dom said, the fallout from from last summer. And, and and all the kind of emotional fallouts, or the physical, and that, you know there were times this season where Saka did look jaded. You know, even that the Newcastle game, when things were, you know, when things kind of fell apart, you know, I think he just looked exhausted. And okay, England have got a few internationals coming up, and it'll be, it'll be it would be good to to see that dialogue maybe between Arsenal and England, just to say, look, you know, it's a young player. As you say he's not even twenty one. He's played every game. You know, to give him that extended rest because we've seen time and time again of these young players getting pushed and pushed and pushed and burning out. And it'll be such a shame to see a talent of the likes of Saka burning out when he gets to, you know, late 20s, early 30s, because he was pushed so much as a youngster, knowing you know, how much he, he he gives to the game already. So I think an extended rest of summer wouldn't go amiss. They can come back fresh in, in, in August and, and, you know, help Arsenal progress. And as you say, if England as well at the World Cup, you know, it's gonna, it'll be a key part of the squad. But um, a rest is needed. I, I'll, I'll, but not disappointed, because I guess England, of course, will want to win those games. But um, you'd like to see that dialogue at least being had for his you know, duty of care, I guess. Yeah, yeah, being completely honest, I can't see that happening. And, you know, we've got the England squads, I think, being announced later this week. I, I just, and, and you know, where it's emotional burnout from from a domestic season, I he don't loves know. It. Mike loves the Nations League. Look at him. Oh, you can tell the enthusiasm is dripping from him. Frankly, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll stay in and wash my hair that night. I just, I just can't see it. Um, you know, given all that, you know, we're talking about winners and losers on this edition, aren't we? Relegation. Uh, Dom, do you think any of the three relegation relegated teams? We'll get straight back up. I'm not so sure. Quite possibly not. I mean, you can't. You, you, you can't tell. It's. It's. We. We have to remember sometimes that that teams that 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 look completely out of their depth in the Premier League are probably still caught between the two divisions in terms of the quality. So there is a chance if if they if they're clever if they're shrewd if they if they make the might right. Right, managerial appointments. Obviously, I think Watford have probably, well, we'll see on Watford. They've obviously made their their choice. An inexperienced guy, but someone that, that suggests a, a slight change in direction in terms of in terms of what they want from a manager. Burnley, we we wait to see. I, I still, I can I understand that the time may have been right to get rid of Sean Dyche, but to do it without having a replacement lined up, this seems crazy to me. Uh, even with the the, the manager the new caretaker manager bounce that Michael Jackson did instill. But the implications of, of relegation for them in terms of the nature of their takeover are, are quite serious on the, on the on the face of it. So they're going to have to be very, very, very shrewd to, to be in proper contention. 
next season. But it's not out. It's not out of the question. It's, I don't think the championship is necessarily a, a particularly daunting prospect for teams that get relegated from the Premier League, even if they get relegated with twenty-one points or twenty-two points. I think that I mean Watford and Norwich are used to that. They they've done it in recent years. They've, they've come straight back up. You'd like to think that a lot of their players would know how to achieve that. Burnley will be a bit of a culture shock, but they probably got the right type of scrappers in there that that, that will give them a give them a chance if they can retain them and if there isn't if if there isn't a financial meltdown at the club. So th- there is a possibility, but I have you know I mean Nor- Norwich and Watford unfortunately just haven't been up to it and they haven't really added an awful lot to the Premier League this year unfortunately and I'd, I'd say that with regret it's it's been painful to watch at times I mean who would have thought that after walloping Manchester United 4-1 that Watford would gain one more home point all season I mean it's astonishing and and Burnley just paid for a dreadful start I mean it just caught up with them at the end three wins in their first 20 odd games that's it's it's dicing with with death, and you know it's 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 worked against them, and really difficult seasons for all three. And let's see what happens next. Yeah, I do fear for Burnley. You know, they've been in the Premier League for six seasons, but then you had, you know, what is essentially, you know, a very welcoming, well-run community club, taken over by US venture capitalists, suddenly. From having forty odd million in the bank, they're they're possibly well, they're certainly facing the prospect of trying to repay sixty five million pounds next year as part of this takeover agreement. Surely, Rich, the Premier League should start looking at these type of leveraged buyouts, shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. They 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 should be. I mean, the the details of it are absolutely staggering, and to to leave a club. As you say, that was well run, that was sustainable, that was, you know, as you say, keeping themselves afloat in the Premier League. To to then be, as you say, on, on this on this cliff edge is 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 astounding how you know the, these things are allowed to, to happen and, and to continue. And you, you do you do fear for them with that. As you say, how are they going to 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 to, to pay that back? I mean, as you say they've got nine players out of contract this, this summer. I think Maxwell Corney has a relegation clause in his contracts where he can leave for uh, £17.5 million. Pounds. So uh, is that what's going to happen? Is it going to be a clear out? Is there? I mean, of course, they're going to have the, the parachute payments, of course, but um, you know, our colleague Andy Jones wrote, wrote a really good piece in it. And, you know, 95% of their money comes from TV revenue from Premier League. So when they lose that, I mean, you, you, you do fear the worst for them. I mean, look, they, they have got good characters around the squad and around the club, but um, it's, it's going to take a, a hell of an effort, especially with, with no permanent manager yet instilled. It's, it's going to be a really, really tough task to, to draw them back from that, I feel. And you're absolutely right. I mean, for the Premier League to sanction the, these kind of deals, considering what we know has gone on in the past and how these things keep happening, it, it is mind-boggling. But when, when, you, when you put it like that, Rich, and I'm sitting here saying they've got a team full of a squad full of battlers that will get them back up, actually, they, they, they may not. I mean, a lot of these guys will presumably leave now. So actually, it, it is almost starting from scratch again, isn't it? It's, and that, that in itself is is troubling. If you haven't got the finances to to go out there and, and, and bring in the talent that's going to get you back up, then 
Well, there's only one way you can go, unfortunately. So it's very interesting to see how they cope with this and how the how those same American venture capitalists approach the future because, you know, they, they need this club to get promoted to make sure they get their money back, basically. Mm. It's interesting to find, isn't it, that you've got Vincent Company being linked with that club. Now, OK, he's, I suppose, doing a, a form of apprenticeship in, in Belgium, a managerial apprenticeship, but that is it. It's uncertainty, and uncertainty is an absolute killer in football, isn't it, Rich? No, it is. Uh, as we, when we, you know, we look at the likes of uh, at the top, you've got City, Liverpool, OK, you know, Backed well financially, but there's that certainty there. You know, there's that ethos, there's that drive within the club that everyone's pulling in, in the right direction, in the same direction. Everybody knows what's happening. Everyone knows what's going on. Everybody knows, as you say, the direction they're going in. When you've got this uncertainty, it really, you know, it must take its toll on, on the players and the fans. So, you know, what what is going to happen next? We've we seen the different now with Norwich because of everything going on behind the scenes. But in the past, when they have been that kind of yayo club and even Fulham to an extent, you know that you know they're, they're planning for the for the next season to to, to for, for their promotion charge, like likes of Bournemouth as well. But as you say, with the likes of, of Burnley who are kind of left out in the cold, it, it really does leave leaves that uncertainty where you're thinking that it's maybe not a foregone conclusion that they will come back up now. So you say with all the players out of contract who, who are started to leave as well, it as, as Dom said, they they will be starting from scratch and for a club that's done so well and had that certainty and had that continuity under Sean Dyche and, and the kind of systems and ethos he had there, okay, of course, things ran stale, but they could have had an injection maybe of, of some new players or maybe some new backroom staff or something just to keep that keep that going. But um, as you say, they're now on, on this cliff edge and it's difficult to see where they'll go from here. Mm. What about Leeds, Dom? They're almost the, you know, the, the other side of the... Premier League shiny coin, aren't they? They've um, they've managed to stay up. Uh, Jesse Marsh will presumably be get uh, given some more time. You know he's had to put up with a lot in a short space of time, and there's talk there of of, of big investment from America as well. Where do you see them? Well, they need to invest. They have they've the squad was too small. The amount of quality was too thin. And they took a massive, massive risk by not adding significantly to the ranks in January. And that's, you know, Marcello Bielsa can do no wrong with Leeds fans, and I can I understand that. But he wanted to work with a small squad. I think realistically now they need a bigger squad. So they need to invest in someone. They need to bring in more bodies. They need to up the quality. Be interesting to see what happens to Rafinha, whether he sticks about. I mean, the scenes yesterday at, at the Brentford Community Stadium when he's in the crowd at the end, quite Did you quite see remarkable. that photograph? What a fantastic it's photograph, brilliant. wasn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but he's... He sort of personified the, the quality and, and the, the sort of unpredictable nature of, of, of Leeds United. And he, he he's on his day, he is one of the best players in the Premier League. But he's also there are also quiet matches and, and matches where he maybe doesn't impose himself quite as much as he as he should for someone of, of, of that pedigree. And that's Leeds all over. Leeds have, have have provided in the last couple of years and seasons some absolutely spectacular games of football. They've not won them all, but they've been they've been brilliant to watch, absolutely entrancing to watch. And uh, you know, it's it, it they certainly add to the add to the Premier League. It's another northern powerhouse of a football club that that needs to be in the division. And hopefully they they get 
a level of investment that allows them to compete. I think there are a few people. I think a few people have still got the jury out on Jesse Marsh as well. I mean, he, he, he it's been difficult for him, so maybe it's not the right time to judge. So let's let's see where we're at at the end of the summer and the start of next season. But but he'll want to make that team and squad his own as well. So best of luck to them. It was, it was amazing scenes, amazing scenes, and a and a, a fantastic goal to to win it and uh, just in, ease the nerves for stoppage time at the end. Yeah, I've, that was remarkable watching Rafinha walk the length of the pitch on his knees <laughs> to give thanks for his for a salvation. Amazing. Everton, in true yes minister fashion, I suppose, are, uh, are going to start a strategic review. Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, Rich? Don't change the coach so often. And by the way, just recruit decent players for a change. You've nailed it. That, that's, that's, that's all it is. I mean, sometimes... You, you want to try and overcomplicate this stuff where, you know, football can be made as simple as that, really. And and if they do, they'd say that they've got they've got the you know, situations in place where they can progress and, and do well. But it really is as simple as that. And I think under Lampard now, of course, the jury was was on him, wasn't it? But um, he's kept them up. He's he's built an ethos. He, he's he's dragged the club from down in, from the doldrums. I mean, under under Benitez, they were really sinking. And of course, okay, 16 to 16, we can all laugh at that. And it is true, but he's, he has taken it from a place of, of, of low morale to, to kind of having that collective unity. And it's just about building on that now. Uh, I'm sure Lampard will have players that he wants in place. And as we talked about before, having that character, having those characters within the squad who, who are going to help galvanise the team moving forward. Because, you know, we've seen that, you know, the home form, the last six games, you know, four wins and a draw ultimately kept them up. So it's about building on, on that now. But um, as you say, <laughs> strategic reviews is, uh, you know, just 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 do the right thing, do it properly. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, doing the right thing. I just hope this doesn't end. We'll end up in court. You know, the Leeds and Burnley wrote to the Premier League on May the 13th, expressing concern that uh, Everton uh, enjoyed an unfair advantage, despite, you know, I think the, 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 the three-year losses were something in 370 million I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if uh, Burnley officials uh, struggle to get hold of their Leeds counterparts in the next couple of days. But that's a bad thing for football, isn't it, Dom? Yeah, it's it's never it's never great when when it, it threatens to go down the court route. <sighs> the timing of it all in in the week was was predictable, I guess, when it comes out. But if the, if there are underlying concerns amongst other Premier League clubs. I'd be interested to know whether it was it was just those two, or you know whether there are, those concerns were shared amongst other members of the Premier League, because it does seem that those I think it was one hundred and seventy million pounds lost due to COVID seems remarkably high compared to clubs of a similar size. But but yes, I, I, I guess that's just another thing hanging over Everton for a while longer. I I, I think it's probably unlikely that they get a points deduction, but I. I I don't know, no one does, and if it goes to court, I suppose anything could happen. But but yeah, it's a bit unsavoury. But but it does show that you know when clubs are desperate and scrabbling down there, and they know the implications of going down, and and they they will do anything to save the skins. I mean, they they need that they want they want to be fighting on a level playing field, and clearly two of them don't feel as if they weren't. 
Yeah, talking of playing fields, I just want to end, um, gents, you know, by looking... Hey, my link's here, Mike. Come on, I'm taking credit for that one. Hey, listen, <laughs> mate, you, you cross a mile ahead of me, OK? Uh, <laughs> crowd invasions. You know, we had the latest unsavoury incident on, on Sunday afternoon with the Aston Villa goalkeeper Robin Olsen, you know, being allegedly attacked by Manchester City fans. Where are we going with all this, Rich? Well, we've seen multiple incidents this week alone of, uh, you know, fans attacking players and coming onto the pitch. And listen, I, I don't recall, pitch invasions have been here for, for many years. I don't, I don't recall the le- the level of disorder that, follow, you know, that, that follows it, you know, in terms of, you know, attacking players and, and whatever. I think it points to a societal issue. I know we look at football in isolation, but I think we're kind of going down the road of, you know, just a basic lack of respect for for, for, for people. Not, not to blame social media, because I know it can be done for good, but sometimes what social media does, it when, it when you have a voice and people can act how they act on there, they take it out into the real world. Sometimes people lose sight of the real world consequences of, of their actions. And you say we're going down a route here now of, you know, how is this going to be stopped? Because... You know, if if you're a steward, you know, people blaming the stewards and, and whatever. If you're, you're a steward, you know, earning however much you earn. Right. Uh, if, I'm, really if I'm getting... on minimum wage, I'm not getting yeah. in the way of those people coming on. Exactly, exactly. I, 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 in fact, I'll gladly escort them on myself because I'm, I'm not looking to, to get hurt. So this, this, this is the issue here. You know, what needs to be done? Do, do we need to get, you know, do we need to be paid more? Do we need to get better reinforcements? Do the police need to provide more resources? Do the leagues and organisations need to provide harsher and punishments? I say it, it is a massive shame because I'm not a massive fan of pitch invasions, but I do love the spectacle that, that they bring. And why can't fans, you know, express their emotions in that way? But if, if we are going to keep seeing this, if, if you know, people don't know how to behave then unfortunately this is going to be the way it is and you know do you, as a fan do you want to be responsible for your tides potentially being dock points and, and losing out on titles and, and things like that because you can't behave but we know football disorder disorder football I should say is, is going up big issue with you know with drug taking and and, and, and alcohol and, and things like that but as you say I think you've seen a real a real steep steep curve in that and I think it does think to society and people as you say, just having a real disregard for respect. Yeah, well, it's it's been a week of such strange contrasts, unalloyed joy, outright stupidity, desperate cynicism and ridiculous drama. It's had its all. You know, a brilliant season? Yeah, sure. But its unforgettable climax reminded us not to ignore the innocent pleasures, powerful loyalties and private dreams that made us all fall in love with the game in the first place. There's still the Champions League final to come. Liverpool to complete the treble? Frankly, I hope so. But for now, thanks to Dom and to Richard for their insights. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.